All right. I am ready to preach. Are you ready to receive? Grab a Bible. Grab a Bible. Turn it to the second uh, most uh, useful, I'll say, book in your Bible after the book of Revelation right now is the book of Romans. Remember I told you, you should be reading Romans at least once a week, if not every day. The book of Romans, we're going to chapter five. Romans chapter five, verse eight. When you have it, stay real quiet. No, when you have it, let me know you've got it. All right, you've got it. Romans chapter number eight, verse five, and then we'll drop down to verse 11. God said, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. May I remind you that Jesus died not for the just, but for the unjust. The apex of all Christian endeavor must become to place the jewel of a soul in the crown of our Savior, that the Lamb of God slain may receive the reward of his suffering. That's why we have church buildings. That's why we have church pews. That's why we have television. That's why we have youth ministry. That's why we have minstrels. That's why we have psalmists. That's why we have preachers. The apex of all Christian endeavor is singular in its focus to reach the lost, hurting, dying, desperate, depraved, destitute souls that are without God in the world today. The only reason that we are here is because they are not. I think you ought to look at somebody and wink at them. You can't really say anything to them, so wink at them. The only reason that we are here is because they are not here. Everybody wants to be relevant, but they don't know what relevant is. They think it's skinny jeans and holes in their blue jeans. That's not being relevant. Being relevant is being attached or connected to the purpose. So if we don't know the purpose, we can't be relevant. And that's the reason that the majority of the church is irrelevant. Because regardless of what kind of show you have, regardless of what kind of happy time you have, regardless of how somebody's teaching you to have a wonderful life on this earth, if you are not connected to the entire purpose of God, if you are not connected to the issue, you are irrelevant. I don't care how many followers you have on Facebook. Okay, you're not saying one thing to me. I'm going to try again. I'm going to start over. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you ready? Because yeah. if you're not talking to me, I'm not talking to you. Say, I want to be relevant. I don't care if you wear your pajamas. I don't care if you wear skinny jeans. Now, there's a reason I don't wear skinny jeans, because I ain't skinny. I had a preacher at a City Harvest Network meeting not long ago, and he weighed about 400 pounds. And he had on jeans that were so tight, I knew that the top 
had to look different than the bottom. I mean, we're talking about the man look like an egg on toothpicks. Is anybody in the building with me? So, so I said, how in the world do you find jeans that tight on your legs and big enough to go around your God bless belly? He said, well, I buy them to fit the belly and then my seamstress takes the other two pair out the sides of my legs. Are you with me? It, relevance has nothing to do with what you wear. It has nothing to do with whether you have a light show or not. It has nothing to do with if you have a preacher that is super powered or a program that's always new. It has nothing to do with being relevant. Shout, I want to be relevant. Being relevant is being connected to the issue. So if you are not connected to the issue, you therefore become what? Irrelevant. That's the reason my great mentor and former great pastor in my life, Leonard Ravenhill said, I seriously doubt that even 5% of the current church is born again. See, sometimes you can't just read the Bible and get a chill. Sometimes you got to come down to Bible basics. A lot of folk try to impress you with the deepness of their theological, eschatological perception. That's all mental, has nothing to do with the spirit. That's entertainment, it is not anointing. The problem with the modern church is they don't know the difference in conviction and condemnation. You ain't helping me one bit today, but I feel my help coming. I, I said they don't know the difference between conviction and condemnation. So if you get on holiness, they all of a sudden go to condemnation. Don't condemn me, right? When nobody's condemning them, in fact, the only person that can condemn you is God. You're not listening to me. And there is therefore now no condemnation, then which in Christ Jesus, walk not after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. But there is a prerequisite. There is a pre-qualification. You must be walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. So say again, I want to be connected to the issue. So the issue, because that's what makes you relevant. So if you're not connected to the issue, you are therefore irrelevant. I don't care how many television stations you want. And nobody in America been on as many television stations as I have been for the length of time I have been. That, 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 there's nobody there. There are a whole bunch of newcomers. Most of them still wet behind the ears. Most of them haven't lived long enough to even have a life story. There is a degree of wisdom that only comes by living. If you want to choose a lifestyle, don't choose one with unhappy old people. Or don't choose one where most of the people of that ideology never even make it to old age. 
Say, I want to be relevant. Relevant has nothing to do with your lingo, your dialect. Being relevant is being connected to the issue. So if you don't know the issue, you're irrelevant. So again, say, I want to be relevant. God calls us to be relevant. He does not call us to be happy. It's hard to go to this church. I said, he does not call us to be happy. He calls us to be holy. Oh, don't shout me down now. I said, it does call us to be holy. Try just to have some kind of response. He calls us to be holy. You can't find where he calls you to be happy. What you can find is where he tells you the joy of the Lord is your strength. A merry heart does good like a medicine. A joyful heart makes a quick recovery. Hey, God. So being relevant is very simple. It's two things. When you're connected to the issue, the issues are, are not singular, but twofold. Number one, you must be connected to the great commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Everyone that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Those that believe not shall be damned. There are only two kinds of people on earth. How many kinds? There are two kinds of people. Saved, lost. Saved, damned. Now these are sobering thoughts because although you may be within the ark of safety under the covering of God, washed in the blood, fire baptized, Holy Ghost filled, what about your family? God did not save you to go to church. You should go to church, but that's not why God saved you. God saved you for the purpose of being used for the Great Commission. The apex of all Christian endeavor must become to place the jewel of a soul in the crown of our Savior that the Lamb of God slain receive the reward of his suffering. The second key to becoming relevant is being connected to the issue, not of the great commission, but the great command. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I'm gonna fix everything that's wrong at your house right now. I'm gonna fix everything that's wrong in your marriage right now. I'm gonna fix everything that's wrong in the church right now. I'm gonna fix everything that's wrong in America right now. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor, your neighbor may live in a different house. Your neighbor may drive a different car. Your neighbor may dress differently than you. Your neighbor may have been educated differently than you. 
Your neighbor may have come from a different part of the nation or a nation than you. Your neighbor may be married or unmarried. Your neighbor may be gay or straight. Your neighbor may be black or white or Asian. Your neighbor may not go to church where you do, and none of that is consequential to the issue. The issue is love your neighbor as yourself. I'm gonna wait till you get it. That book, and the book is right and they are wrong, gives you no opportunity to hate your neighbor. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they did to somebody I love. That has absolutely nothing to do with the very first statement that issued while he was suffering, sighing, dying, crying on the angry, mean, biting beam called Calvary. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I just want to know if you're relevant or not. Because a whole lot of folk being real loud, but they're not relevant. What they do is of no consequence. Because it's rooted in soul and not rooted in spirit. Hallelujah. That was all free. You want me to quit now? You want me to say something else? <laughs> Lady back there is like, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah, baby. It's good to have babies back in church again. I kind of like it. Hallelujah. Are you ready? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates it is his love toward us. In that... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the people who were at odds with God, the people who did not agree with God, the people who did not maintain God in their consciousness, sinners, to what shall I liken this generation? Jesus said, they are like children playing in the marketplace and calling to their classmates and saying, we have piped to you and you have not danced. We have lamented and you have not mourned. John came neither eating nor drinking and you say he has a devil. But Jesus said, I have come both eating and drinking, and you have said, I am a gluttonous man, a wine-bibber, and listen to the greatest criticism ever leveled at the Holy Son of God while he walked on this blue marble planet. You have called me a friend of sinners. Why, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. I'm not asking you 
how great a friend you are to the person in the pew in front of you or behind you. I'm asking you, how good a friend are you to those who if they meet an accident this afternoon will close their eyes and open them in the billowing, waving, lapping flames of eternal incarceration? Do you love them? I didn't ask if you lust them. Lust seeks its own gratification at the expense of somebody else. Love seeks the gratification of the other at the expense of self. When he said, I love you, he told you he loved you before you ever gave him a praise, before you ever spoke his name. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly, and I think it's time we started living for the ungodly in the life of Christ to bring them out of bondage and into liberty. I'm saying the thing. I'm not to my message. I'm just trying to get through the text. In due time, Christ died for us. Furthermore, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now, shout now. Now means at this time in this season, at this moment, henceforth, and hereafter. So whatever God does, he does forever. If he heals you, that, uh, that affliction will not arise a second time. If he blesses you, you are blessed. If he prospers you, you ain't going to be broke no more. I can't get no help in him. What God does, he does forever. If he gives you joy and you end up without joy, that's on you, not him because you didn't do what was necessary to maintain what he freely gave. So why don't you have faith? I said, why don't you just have faith? He's not trying to get you to conjure up faith. He's making you an offer, have faith. And once you have it, you have it. <laughs> Shout, I have faith. I take it. I have it. It's mine. Thank you. I forgive. You'll never be without mountain moving, God exalting, devil defeating faith. You have it. Be seated. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about scars and stripes forever. And I want to point out to you, if I can get there, the greatest faith. There's all kinds of faith. Most people, most believers only use their faith for one purpose. Jesus, this is Jimmy, let me tell you what I want you to give me. And they're not praying for righteousness, they're not praying for holiness. When I first started on television, 40 years ago, the number one request coming in by the millions every week was this, 
please pray for my unsaved family members. That was the number one request. Do you know what the number one request today is? Pray for my finances. We have become materialistic. We equate the blessing of God with the degree of material blessing that we're living in. Which is a little odd because Jesus said, you got two coats, give one of them away, you got too many. We don't want to hear that kind of gospel. If the church would live that kind of gospel, we would never need the government to take care of people. Yeah. I don't want the government to do what the church is supposed to be doing. Let's reflect today on uh, more of the Lamb of God's statements from Calvary's angry, mean, biting being there where he purchased our eternal salvation. And he purchased there everything, say everything, that pertains to life and godliness. So it's not just, well, he died there to forgive my sins. He died there to provide everything that pertains to life and godliness. Few words ever spoken in the human dialect are of more importance or are more meaningful or of lasting value than words uttered with a person's last breath. Last words are important. Let me walk you through a couple of them. The apostle James the less, not because he was least in importance, but because he was younger than James the apostle. James the less, the younger, whose mother stood alongside the mother of Jesus at Calvary, was summoned by the religious leaders to the top of the pinnacle in the temple. There he was to make his announcement, having been an apostle of the Lord, that there was no resurrection from the dead and nor was Jesus ever going to return to this earth. Those were his two affirmations for the religious leaders, which I wish I had time to show you that that's what is exactly what has happened to modern preachers. Those are the two things that have disappeared from the pulpits of America. He was to denounce the resurrection and the second coming to all the people. Instead, Once he was there, he proudly proclaimed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that on the third day, God raised him from the dead, and that he was coming again very, very soon. As a result, the religious leaders did what they did in Luke 4 to Jesus. They grabbed him by the nap of the neck, and they threw him three stories down to the pavement, those stone paving stones, those stone pavers, and there he broke only his legs. Having broken only his legs, he crawled upon his hands and broken legs and began to point at those who were now beating him with clubs over the head. 
and his prayer was the same as Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Struck on the head with the fuller's club, he went on to receive his eternal reward. The apostle Paul, who could ever forget? Second Timothy four, verses five through seven. For I am ready now to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Who could forget Jesus' final words before he left this earth? All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now once again, let's take just a few brief moments and let's climb up that craggy slope to Golgotha's brow where the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior is taking place. Let's continue listening with great, great, great attentiveness to the illuminating statements of our expiring Savior. He speaks a mere seven times during those harrowing six agonizing hours. The first word I've already recited to you. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Toby Max says it this way, the only one qualified to throw a stone didn't. I've often said that you shouldn't judge people just because they sin differently than you. I'm just letting that one sink in a minute. I said you shouldn't criticize somebody else just because they sin differently than you. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the blood is all about. Not grace, the blood. The second word to a repentant criminal suffering and dying beside him, he said these words, today you will be with me in paradise. The third word, for time's sake, in the past I've, I've only just barely brushed across this one, but today I've got to give it a whole lot more attention. John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Woman, this is the second time he calls her woman. Now, I don't know about you. I'm from Eastern Kentucky, and I was raised on the south side of Columbus, Ohio, which is why people with a different pigmentation than me and I get along so well, because we grew up together. Do you understand? We both came from a place of suffering. We both came from a place of poverty. It hasn't always been like this. I was raised so far back in the woods, we had to pipe in sunshine. Hoot owls were used for roosters. June bugs didn't show up till August. I'm just telling you, I was raised too poor to pay attention. You don't understand. 
But if I ever called my mother or my grandmother woman, I got acquainted with my mother's wedding ring. Like, yeah. Jesus called his mother woman only twice. Once from the cross, woman, here is your son. Woman, here is your son. And to a man, here is your mother. The son's climbing higher now. The Savior's strength is waning. There in the sea of hate-contorted faces, his attention is focused on only two pair of eyes. The first, his closest friend, John. The second, his mother. His mother, who watched him take his first breath, now sits in stupefied horror, waiting for him to exhale his last breath. She's witnessing something that no mother should ever, ever have to endure. But she insisted on being there, and no Roman legion was going to get her to leave. But the expression, that expression on her face multiplies the suffering of our sighing, dying Savior. Only a year ago, Jesus had encountered a funeral procession. A simple casket flanked on one side by a heartbroken widow. She had now also lost her only son, her only hope of being cared for in her later years. Jesus stopped, stopped that funeral procession, (laughs) touched that casket, and gave that mother her son back again. Now he sees the face of his own mother. Her grief is far, far more profound than that widow. So his compassion, his affection for her is without limit. He must not. He wants to, but he he cannot give her her son back. He had called her woman just three years earlier at the first miracle he performed at the wedding in Cana of Galilee where he protested to her that my time has not yet come, but now his time has come. Looking to his trusted disciple, he completes that Calvary couplet and declares, Behold thy mother. Simeon had prophesied to the infant Jesus, and he'd had a word for Mary, his mother, as well. He had warned her, A sword will pierce your soul. The time of her piercing was at hand. Palestinian son refuses to beat upon his open gaping wounds for another moment it cannot bear to look anymore. Fourth word. We look deeper into it and we discovered that it, it is not at all what is translated in your King James or modern English version or 
Amplified Translation. You have to go way, way back. It is not, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How could you ever make that work with I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I will stick closer to you than a brother. I am with you in the valley. I am with you in the flood and the water shall not overflow you. I am with you in the fire and the crackling flames shall not kindle upon you. How can you believe that he will never leave you if he left his son in his dying moment? He never left him. That is one of the gross mistranslations of your Bible. Jesus did not speak Greek. He did not speak Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic. And in his dying moments, he of course reverted back to his street slang, to his native language, to what you would cry out if you were in your moment of greatest anguish. You're not looking for flowery words. You're, you're going to say it the way you felt it. And in the original Aramaic, it translates, Eli, Eli, Lamanam, Shabakhtani. It means, my God, my God, for this moment, you have kept me. This is my destiny. This is the reason I was born. This is my purpose for being. For this came I into the world. Somebody ought to give him glory. Ah. Our Father will never forsake you. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what you haven't done, what you have done. He will not leave you. Where could I go? The old folks said. Where could I go? Needing a refuge for my soul. Needing a friend to help me in the end. Where could I go but to the law? You will never knock on his door. It will not be open. You will never open your eyes. He will not be there. You will not gaze through blurry tears and find him walking away. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. The fifth word. Just two. Just two words. Honey, I have no idea what time it is. Eleven thirty-six. Oh my great God, the Baptists don't even sing the doxology till noon. Will you give me 15 more minutes? Are you getting anything? It's terrible when the preacher's having more fun than the people. I already know all this. <laughs> hey, God. The fifth word, two words, I thirst. The living water is dying of thirst. 
It's been 24 torturous hours since he's had a morsel of bread or a drop of water on his swollen and parched tongue. He suffers massive blood loss. He's in shock. He needs warmth. He needs water. He's naked. He's cold. Death is circling Golgotha's brow. He has hung there suspended for six excruciating hours. I thirst. A simple two-word statement, but it is a jarring reminder that the Lord Jesus feels what you feel. He needs what you need. He's thirsty. As this painful plea is more gruffly croaked across those blistered vocal cords than it is spoken, I recall another day when he asked for water. It was a hot, hot day, and he had stopped at a Samaritan well. A drink from a woman, hardened. You ever meet hardened people? Well, they didn't get that way naturally. They've been hardened by life. She had been hardened by a life of wrong choices. She'd been hardened by a life filled with wrong men, wrong relationships. She, even in her broken condition, this always staggers me, she decided she wanted to debate him. He wanted to give her life. Are you debating or receiving? Listen to this lifetime of wisdom. If you knew, said Jesus, the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Listen to it. If you knew who. She didn't. He didn't say if you knew about. He didn't say if you heard of. He didn't say if you went in the proximity of. He didn't say if you know somebody that knows him. If you knew who, you would have asked. That's why we don't ask. Because we don't know him. We, we don't know his nature. We don't know his character. We don't know that you have never prayed a prayer that he did not hear and answer the moment you prayed it, or that book is a lie. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And because we know he hears us, we know his steadfast confidence and assurance that we have granted for our present possession all those things we have asked him for. We don't know, so we don't ask. If you knew, you would ask, and then he finishes it off. If you knew, you would ask, and he would give. He made it so profoundly clear to you. Ask, 
and you will receive. Seek and you will find on the 42nd row. Knock and it shall be open to you. But what you don't perceive is that it is a present progressive tense verb. What does that mean? It doesn't mean ask once. It actually says ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking. For everyone that asks, receives. Now I'm sorry, that's either truth or it's a lie. I choose to believe it's a lie. I choose to not believe it is a statement of truth, but rather it is truth. No, no, you don't understand. It is the debar of God. It is not just the spoken word of God. It is not just logos, it is rhema. God cannot lie, not because he chose not to, but because his words are debar. Your words are a description of a thing. God's words are the thing. Yeah. How much grace, how much help, how much favor, how much blessing have we relinquished simply because we have not asked? Oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear just because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that bids me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known in seasons of distress and grief. My soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Pray and watch your children's heart turn. Pray and watch your bank account change. Pray and watch your hardened heart be turned to flesh. Pray and watch the high place be brought low. Pray and watch the low place be brought high. As and you shall receive. Why won't God's people pray? The very one. Look at him there, pallid and pale. Look at him there. That's why modern preachers won't preach the cross. It's too ugly. It doesn't fit with their marketing plan. It's not chic. It's ugly. It's brutal. It's mean. It's horrific. Suffering by which the very veins of God himself were emptied. We won't look at it. So we don't receive from it. At the cross. At the cross. Where I first saw the light. And the bird. My God you need to go back to the base of Calvary. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now, when I don't have a dollar to change, and now, when they say you've got vocal cord cancer and you may never preach again, and now, 
I'm happy all the day. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stains. Was it for crimes that I had done? He bled upon the tree. Amazing pity. Love unknown and grace beyond degree. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What has made me whole again? Nothing. Not preacher. Not parishioner. Not B3 organ. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that washes white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing. Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Alas, indeed, my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? If you're thankful for the blood, give him the greatest praise of the day. You can be healed by that blood right now. You can be delivered by that blood right now. You can be freed from your sin by that blood right now. Your marriage can be healed right now. Your hope can be restored right now. Your victory can be restored. Your peace, your hope. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Well, I'm going to quit. I'm not finished, but I'm going to quit. <laughs> yes or no? 
Yes or no? Psalm 78.10 Open your mouth with a mighty decree. God said, I will fulfill it. Now you'll see. The words that you say, so shall it be. You're always waiting for the preacher to do it. I like this time. It's causing us not to depend so much on the preacher laying hands on us. Lay your hands on your own self. Hallelujah. 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 Open your mouth with a mighty decree. He will fulfill it. Now you see the words that you speak. So shall it be. Declare the decree, for the Lord has said unto you, this day have I begotten you. Declare his decree. Every head bowed, Father, give us judgment day honesty right now. Those of you online, those of you at a branch campus, every heart humbled and quiet, every mind fixated on an expiring Savior, with every red rivulet drop of blood that ran freely down his naked side, dripped off his toes into bloody pools upon the earth, each splash resounding out I'm doing this for you. He's waiting now. In his heart, he knows that he became the propitiation, a big word, the price paid for your sin and for mine. The only sin God cannot forgive is that which we do not confess. And so I'm asking every one of us right now, we're getting ready to enter into the Feast of Tabernacles, beginning in just a few short days. September the 18th, with the Feast of Trumpets, and then immediately 10 days of awe, 10 days of introspection, 10 days of self-examination, 10 days of consecration, 10 days of fasting, 10 days of sacrifice, culminating in the great day of atonement, 
Yom Kippur. Sunday night, the 27th of September. Right now, I want you to examine your heart. I want you to take a moment and I want you not to examine your family or your friends. I want you to examine your own heart. Is there anything there that you need to get cleared up between you and the Savior? I need him. Oh, I need him. Every hour, I need him. Right now, there online, around the world, here in this tabernacle, others gathered together. City Harvest Network pastors and churches around the world. We added 40 new City Harvest churches this week. 40 new. But what about you? Are you where you need to be with God? Is there something you need to get right? You say, well, I'll just, I'll just think about it in my head. No, no, no. With the heart you believe, but with your mouth confession is made. Every head bowed and every eye closed, every person who says, Pastor Rod, right now, those of you online, those of you gathered here, those of you gathered in tabernacles around the world, Right now, is everything right with you and God? If not, when I say three, shoot your hand up in the air. We're going to pray. We're going to get it taken care of right now. Because tomorrow is promised to no one. You know that. Today is the day of salvation. So, so, to be done well by spirit, soul, and body, and all that pertains to life and godliness. Get it right. Get it right, right now. On three, shoot that hand up in the air. Do it right now. One, two, three. Shoot it up. Dozens and dozens of hands across this auditorium. I'm sure it's the same there where you are online. All you need to do is type in one word, me. Just type in one word in the comments, me. Leave me your email address. And I'll send you some literature that's going to really, really help you. Everybody pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I surrender all that I am, all of me, everything regarding me, I give it freely to you. Wash me, cleanse me, sanctify me, fill me with the Holy Ghost and let me know I'm as sure for heaven as if I was already there. Now, Satan, get behind me. I belong to Jesus now and forever. Then let him know you're happy about it. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. 
I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.